Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of The Basement Binge. If you're new here, welcome. Thanks for listening. This is the first ever Basement Binge spooky season episode on a quiet place. Uh, Halloween is here, the spooky season. And let me tell you up front, it's not easy for me. I'm a total wimp. Uh, but this is a movie that both my wife and I love. It As difficult it is for me. Anyway, spooky season is here. Uh, if you've been listening to Return Episode, and the time frame sounds a little bit confusing, it's because this is recorded after the Nausicaa episode was uploaded, but before I even started working on Hal's Moving Castle, just scheduling and how it worked out. Anyway, it's obviously being uploaded later, and now you're listening to it because spooky season is here, Halloween's getting much closer. Let's get into the actual review of A Quiet Place, because it's a great movie to talk about. Anyway. Jumping right into the first segment, two cents. So two minutes of uninterrupted time. Hopefully I can keep it within two minutes this time. I haven't been doing great at that. To just give kind of my knee-jerk reaction, initial thoughts about the movie. And just, just reaction to it. Okay, so here we go. Like I already said, when it comes to horror, I'm a total wimp. I've seen like a total of five horror movies in my entire life, and including this, and every single one scared the bejeebies out of me. I it was too much to handle. There was even one that I started to watch with a group of friends and I got too scared so I'm, I made them turn off. I am, do not do good with scary movies, but my wife loves them. And so we kind of, A Quiet Place is like a perfect happy medium for us. Anyway, let's get into it. So th- having seen this movie before and re-watching it, I had to work myself up to press play with my wife. We were sitting down to watch and I kept saying like, are we ready for this? Like, are you sure we're ready? Uh, I wasn't ready, but we watched it. It was it was good to turn on, and I know it's a movie that I'll come back to because it's just like lightning in a bottle, especially as I prepared the podcast more, way beyond just enjoying watching it with my life. Wife, it it's it's amazing. So just so many talented people coming together to make something amazing. Actors, composers, cinematographers, writers, directors, all of these people behind a project working together incredibly well to a point that I just blows my mind it's, it's amazing so way back in 2018 when the movie came out my wife and i we went to the theater to go see it and i was not excited but i was at the same time anyway we went and then like right before the show he's like stay after the credits for like a behind the scenes interview with john krasinski the director and like i was like oh that's sweet so we stayed after the theaters we were the only one in the theater anyway there was an interview with john um and he said something along the lines of i didn't try to make a scary story but just to tell a story about a family who's experiencing caring things who's experiencing scary things and if i do it right you're going to care for this family and then it will be scary for you or something along those lines i don't remember it word for word and i can't find the interview where it was said anywhere but he totally nailed it that goal that he was trying to achieve of of creating an experience that's scary because we care about these individuals, totally nailed it. And I feel like this m- movie and, and like the anxiety that I feel the whole time, like my heart's pounding. I'm almost having like on, oh, I can hardly breathe, even like thinking about it. Um, and that anxiety comes because of the fear and the dread I have because of these family members and what I'm, I'm watching. And it's a good, like I said, happy medium for me because it's, it feels a little bit more like a drama in a horror format and the family working through a dramatic rift in their unity in their connection with one another while these horrific things are kind of happening around them 
And it's just like an intense, thrilling thing to watch. So yeah, it's scary. And it's also quiet, obviously. Um, but it's also super emotional. And I noticed the emotions a lot more the second time. And those emotions make it even scarier. So the second watch grants so much more insight into those relationships and elevates every scare and every terror. Um, that combined with the freakish monsters they designed, it's just heart pounding the whole time. So yeah, great scary movie to watch for Halloween anytime really. I have so many things to say about this. I'm trying to kind of keep it spoiler free even though I've gone way over the two minutes for the two cents. Anyway, it's just a phenomenal movie to watch about these family members experiencing something horrific and it's a great scare. And yes, from the title, it is quiet. You don't want to have your snacks out because, I mean, especially in the theater, it was like the best experience ever. Everybody was quiet. It was awesome. But funny story, before I jump into the next segments, this is a little disconnected two cents here. But anyway, in the, in the theater, when we went, we stayed after for that interview with, with John. And like I said, we were the only ones in the theater. And I'm trying to tell the story right. So, so in the theater, I don't know if you guys, have, your theaters are like this, but when you walk into like the actual screen room, not like the whole theater, but the actual screen, you walk in the door and you can either go left or you can go right and kind of like go around the amphitheater of chairs and kind of go up either aisle on either side of the chairs and then you like kind of do a U-turn and come up and walk the stairs and you sit down. So if you want to go out, you have to kind of walk up those ramps either side to get to the doors. Anyway, we're, we're sitting there in the theater watching our behind the scenes thing. I'm totally loving it. I'm scared out of my mind and my heart's pounding and we go to walk out of the theater after the behind the scenes interview that I'd mentioned and on either side, we just hear this horrible noise and turns out what it was is it was the janitors working at the movie theater coming to clean up everybody's mess afterwards. They're pushing their garbage cans and they happen to be in like perfect sync coming up either side. Um, so it sounded, maybe it was just my terror and imagination, but it sounded like the surround sound behind us of the noise from the monsters in the movie. And I was like, I even said out loud, like, oh, that director's so mean to like make the sound of the monsters for the people who stayed after as they're walking out as if it was behind them. And I'm like joking with my wife as my anxiety is increasing because of this sound that feels like it's coming behind us that I, again, thought was the surround sound. I turned the corner and that janitor sitting there like just pushing up his garbage can and I jumped clear to the moon. Oh my gosh, I don't think I, the whole movie scared me as bad as that experience did. And the guy started laughing at me or whatever. We said good day. It was way before COVID and masks and all that and we went on our way. Anyway, funny experience that I, every time I think about this movie, I think about the experience and how like out loud it was like, oh, that director teasing people with acting like the monster's coming up behind him and then it was just a stupid garbage can that terrified me. Anyway, funny story. That's been a really long two cents that didn't even connect, but whatever. On to the next segment, pick your poison. So as difficult as this movie is, uh, well, first I should explain what pick your poison is, the first episode. It's a personal rating scale here at the Basement Binge. So instead of having a star system or out of 10 or whatever, it's just how a movie would be treated after watching it the first time. Never watch it again, which obviously is the lowest self-explanatory. Just above that is to stream it which is just if you had free time, you weren't listening, looking for something specific and just happened to be on a screen, streaming service you were scrolling through, you'd click on it. Above that is a rent. You'd be willing to pay a few dollars when in the moon or in a specific moment to watch this film specifically. At the top is a buy, pay full price, whatever. Watch it as many times as you can. Share with people all those things. Anyway, so like I said, this film is hard for me to watch, but it is definite a buy, especially after this rewatch. It made me 
love the film even more. I mean, I already loved it. I, I know like immediately after it came out in theaters and I started to buy Blu-rays more and I like, this was one of the first ones I bought and we've never opened it again because every time I think about it, I'm like, Ugh. I've shared it with tons of people. I've had my family members watch it, but every time I go to it, it's like, Ugh. finally we did for spooky season. My wife got me to do it and it made me appreciate it more. And I know I'm going to enjoy as difficult as it is this film for years to come. It, it's seriously amazing. And I'm going to choose to be terrified every time I watch it because it's that good. So obvious buy, easy for Pick Your Poison. These last few episodes have been buy because personally, I want to watch movies that I enjoy, so they're going to be high on the rating scale. Maybe soon, one day, we can get into Binge the Cringe and we'll get some lower ratings. But for now, they're all buy because they're good movies. Anyway, on to Binge Points. And this is going to be a large section of this podcast. Um, if you haven't seen this film, there's a little bit of spoilers coming ahead, so look out for that. Spoiler wall is dropped, um, but if you haven't seen the film, oh my gosh, digging into all these binge points, so many things to say. So let's kind of just first talk about the binge points, like the details, Easter eggs, things in the film that I noticed that are kind of unconsequential, but fun to notice and point out. So first thing that I want to point out that is like sad, just heartbreaking, uh, kind of ironic is the grave the little thing that cross they set up for their son that does that bay or however you pr- pronounce his name i don't know the little boy his great he's four years old it's 2016 to 2020 made in 2018 or released in 2018 2020 oh my gosh another horrible thing to add to the list of 2020 good thing we're long past 89 days left in the year or else we might be done for so that's heartbreaking 2020 what a year Add it to the list. Uh, the other things that I noticed, just kind of like about the film and, and having only seen it that one time and trying so much to understand the world and like the rules or the laws of it uh, kind of took away from these other details that are fun to notice that maybe you already did. But for me, this time watching it, totally mind-blowing. Specifically, and these are spoilers coming, so specifically the red lights that Emily's character, Evelyn, I think is her name, turns on when all the panic starts to happen aren't for a monster being there. I always thought it was for like a monster so he would know that she was in danger, but it was so that she was pregnant. And she went down there way before she knew was the monster was there, turned on the light way before she knew the monster was there, sadly stepped on a nail on the way, and that's what brought the monster in. But the lights were to warn her husband that she was pregnant because in a quiet environment, you can't yell like, I'm pregnant, like, or I'm not pregnant, wow. <laughs> it's time, like I'm giving birth, like, who knows where he is? He's pouring out sand or something. You, you can't yell. Uh, so br- we'll get more into that later and then like the preparation they put in for that. But I, ne- I always thought it was for the monster coming. So that blew my mind. That's why she went down there. So other cool details I noticed just in the like the, the editing and development of the film. It starts on day 89. That's the first day we see. And it jumps to like day 400 and something like a year later, I think. Um, and then... We see that the course of that day, and then one more title pops up, and it's exactly one day later. And then the rest of the film is completely wrapped up in that one day, the night, and then like very early morning of the next day. So we never see another title that says day whatever, because the film is just so tight. Like so much happens to these people after 400 days of surviving terror. And the, the other thing is this movie is just really fast paced. It's 90 minutes. My wife and I, we were trying to decide what movie to watch and it was between A Quiet Place and something else I don't remember. And we saw that this was 90 minutes and it was kind of late at night. We're like, oh, let's do this. And I was like, 90 minutes, that's it? Um, 90 minutes, that's so short. And as I 
dove more into the behind the scenes, the script was only about 60 pages compared to a more traditional 90 or 120 page script. So 60 pages, that is not a lot for a script. But apparently, credit to the writers, it had tons of details, maps of the farm, drawings, outlines, things like that. But it was just like it's a short story and it, it, the movie just moves so quick. And it doesn't, I appreciate everyone involved in making it and not intentionally drawing it out. This is a short story. It's a horrible short story. It's terrifying. And allowing it to exist so short is gives it a, an incredible strength. Other cool details, accuracy, just like real life accuracy, um, things like chipped bags and really noisy things and pill bottles being the only thing left in the store because obviously you want quiet food and you don't want to be over there. Should have got a bag of chips for that in my mouth. But you, you don't want to be over there opening your bag of chips and have the monster come after you. So that, that's obviously realistic. Um, other things like having to load the shotgun under the blanket or the corn silo thing and how they sink in it and then they're able to get on the door and displace their weight and how that's accurate. Or Reagan and her deafness and how two or three times in the film you enter her head and there's complete silence. Like one strong example is when the monster's right behind her in the cornfield the first time her cochlear goes nuts. She has no idea. The monster's right behind her, like making all its creepy noise, rustling through the corn stocks and she has no idea I, and i thought it was amazing to depict like the challenge that, that would be having well i wouldn't say taken away from you it's not like she had it but but never experiencing that oh my gosh amazing detail that i love that they put in the field other things is i love that she's being played by an actual deaf person millicent and how millicent as an actor doesn't react to sound but to like vibration and and movement um, and how are her reactions when there is sounds or when there are things are so much different than our family members and acting, Reagan's reactions are usually towards her father and seeing what he does instead of, you know, the more natural hearing the sound things. Cool detail, I noticed. Um, other things, sign language, it's really, really accurate. And I'm not just talking about the signs. I took sign language years ago in high school. I know a little bit of it, definitely not enough to understand everything but almost just like the culture the nature of communication and how there's not slang that's not the right thing but we we have ways we communicate that we've developed over years of talking to people that i'm sure you developed that the people in the deaf community have developed over years of signing and having the realness in the way that they would communicate just great detail in there and lastly before i move on to other detail other binge points one more note about the cinematography that i mentioned at the beginning um, Charlotte Bruce Christensen, I think that's the DP. Not familiar with his work at all, but I want to be after this film. Holy moly, the, you, when you take so much away, when you take dialogue away, when you take a lot of sound, you have to focus more. It, it's a show and don't tell. And you have, your, your eyes are suddenly the main form of your information. And the cinematography itself excels at telling a visual story on top of that just having beautiful beautiful shots there's just a few that i can think of that were just like beautiful frames just composition blocking lighting beautiful um the way he used the lines and the architecture is just amazing there's a few i'm thinking out in my head that if i try to describe it'd be pathetic compared to the real thing uh, but on top of just the ability to tell a story so visually so much talent so new dp on or I guess cinematographer, you could call him. It's on my horizon to look for. Sadly, most of his work is in the horror genre, and so I'm a little scared, but incredibly talented either way. 
Anyway, on to some other binge points that I dove into. This is kind of focusing more on like the behind the scenes thing. Um, because really, this film is lightning in a bottle. Someone, I was listening to a podcast and heard that phrase for the first time. And it was like, it's the perfect phrase to describe what happened here with A Quiet Place. Everything working so perfectly together to just encapture this epicness in a way that is so rare. Even in a genre that I'm not at all comfortable with. And it's so amazing for me to be this appreciative of it. So anyway, keep in mind, as I talk about all these things, this film was made for $13 million. The budget was $13 million. Just as a comparison, that is so small. But you say $13 million. It sounds like a ton. Just comparison. According to Investopedia, as of April 2020, the average production cost of a movie is $65 million. $65 million compared to 13 okay? So then I just took the, like, the next three Blu-rays on my shelf over here to my left which is Ad Astra, which has a $90 million budget, Alita Battle Angel, which has a $170 million budget, and Bumblebee, which has $135 million. This movie was made for $13 million, okay? It is an original idea, original property, so compared to something else, like an original movie that was more recent, Knives Out, that was the first one that came to mind, that has a $40 million budget. $13 million is nothing when it comes to the movie, when you think about all the people involved in working on it. $13 million, that's it. And they were able to make, oh my gosh, just talented people working together. And on top of that, the movie went on to make like $300 million. Obviously, it gets a sequel. Anyway, let's talk about the components that all led up to this lightning being captured so perfectly in a bottle. So the acting, you cannot ignore the acting in this movie, obviously, because so much of the emotion is no longer cared with the inflections of your voice or the words you're saying, but just the look on your face or the way you move or things like that. So the performances are all top-notch. Um, the dread that you see in the parent's face as their boy is holding a toy. Like, before you even know what he's doing, you just know what's horrible. It's dreadful. Um, and kind of the behind-the-scenes of all the people getting involved, it was just, it was like almost too good to be true. Um, particularly Emily, who just steals the show in every scene she's in. Emily Blunt, oh my gosh. I'm obsessed with her. She's amazing. But, so... Obviously, her husband, John Krasinski, if you didn't know, they're married. They've been married for quite a while. They're like the best. Anyway, she, she wasn't initially involved and he didn't really know how to get her involved, but John kind of wanted her to, but he never really brought it up to her. And as they were talking, as he was working on it, kind of writing the screenplay um, and, and working through the process of being a director for it, she was just kind of like shouting out people that she thought would be a good job for the role until on the plane to one of the head people, head producers at Paramount trying to pitch the movie on the plane, she read the screenplay. She read the script and she looked at John and, and says something along the lines of, like, you can't let anyone else do this. Like 20 minutes before their meeting with a person to pitch the movie, he called up the producers like, hey, Emily read the script. She wants to do it. She doesn't want anyone else. Like she, she was like, you cannot let anyone else do this. She wanted to be a part of it so badly. And I'm grateful that she was because it, it adds to it so much. We'll get into more of that in a second. Um, but uh, let's just get into it right now. The relationship that John and Emily are able to provide uh, is incredible. They, just the chemistry they have on screen, especially knowing that they're married in real life, just adds to like the emotion of it, the complexity, the difficulty, the, the sadness, the heartache of all of those things. Um, they're able to carry like a unique chemistry that I don't think could come any other way because it's organic and it's amazing. On top of that, Emily, she just steals the show in her own right. Um, 
specifically the scene that we're all thinking of when she's in the bathtub, when she's giving birth to her baby in this horrible situation. She just stepped on a nail and monsters in her house ready to kill her. She has no idea where her kids are. So another behind the scenes thing. She, they did that take, according to John, the director, and her husband. That scene, there's in existence one take of that scene. And they did the scene, and John, in the behind-the-scenes clip I was watching, saying that you can hear on the original take that she does it, she does her thing, which is just amazing, and you can hear the crew, like, dead silent afterwards for, like, 10 seconds. And then he says, I guess that's lunch? Because, like, what do you do after that? How do you move on from that? It's just phenomenal. It performs amazingly in the film. It's like the one moment of release you have in the film. Uh, and the acting capacity of Emily, and also the real-life experience she has as, an, as a mother, as that it's just phenomenal, phenomenal performances. I remember just being blown out of my mind about that scene in, in the whole movie. So, amazing. John, let's talk about him for a minute. So he, obviously, is a parent, him and Emily together, and he had recently just had a daughter. And as a father, I'm sure, I'm not a father yet, but I'm sure you have this incredible desire to t- keep your family safe, particularly daughter. And you can see that realistic emotion, that a realistic care move forward portraying to a film. I mean, even John himself says this film is about living with this family. And you live with that stress, that desire, that, that burden that Lee, I think is the character's name, carries. You can see it in the weight in his eyes, in his looks, in the way he plans, in the way he thinks, in the things he's doing. He cares so deeply about providing the best he can for his family and his loved ones in an absolutely horrible situation that no one should ever be in, in anything comparable, but he gives so much to his family. He's trying so hard. Um, and the portrayal of that, to me, made me really emotional. I, I noticed it way more this time than before, just through my own desire to provide for my own family in a very different way, but feeling, feeling the weight that he carries and relating to it. Phenomenal. Again, making the movie that much more scary because of the way you feel for this family. Um, on top of that, these child actors, Noah and Millie, they blow it out of the water. Who, where the heck did they come from, and why are they this talented? <laughs> How did they get this good? Uh, the, the fear, the hurt, the complex emotions that they're able to carry and portray with just a look, just a glance, just beyond impressive. I don't even know how to begin to understand the talent they have, but I can appreciate it. It's amazing. And all of them working together as a family, existing as a family, you feel for. And those emotions of a family are so much more real. You connect and feel more deeply. Again, making all this so much scarier. And I keep wanting to go back to what John said originally. This isn't a scary movie. It's a movie about a family experiencing scary things. And if I do my job right, you're going to care for this family. And these actors are the family that we have to care for. So their performances are just absolutely crucial in learning to care for them. They all knock it out of the park phenomenal phenomenal performances from all of them so quickly let's move on to the sound design um not just the sound design but the sound altogether because that is just so essential to this film and all the crew learning how to be quiet i don't know if you've ever been around a film crew on a film set but it's loud it's super loud and they had to learn how to be extra quiet because that ambient quietness that those layers of quietness began to be their friend and like the superpower and making each one of these moments in the film that much more powerful and being able to give that detailed information to the sound crew. Speaking of them, Michael Bay, he was a producer on this film. I had no idea until I was watching the credits this time. 
But his, I don't know how he got involved or why, but he did. And his connections, he was able to bring in his sound crew. So the Foley artists, the sound designers, they are the same individuals who did the work on all the Transform movies. If you've never seen them, they have like top-notch sound design. Say what you will about the films. The sound design is unbelievable. And that team was able to come forward and in create the most horrific sounds ever. I mean, they're crushing and twisting celery and lettuce and tasing grapes and mixing it and slowing it down and, and doing all these things to just make like the creepiest sounds you'll not get out of your head after watching this. Again, talented people coming together. Uh, there's an insider video that I'll try and put in the show notes um, about the Foley artists specifically that's really fascinating to watch. Um, other things, also huge in the way that it added to this, the fear you get from these monsters. ILM did the VFX for this movie. So again, a, a, a movie that is this small, this original idea that nobody heard of, that's a first-time director, that's a horror film, that's on a $13 million budget, has no business having this talented, this so many big names involved behind the scenes. Uh, so I don't know how it happened. Lightning in a bottle, like I said. So ILM, if you don't know, Industrial Light and Magic, they are the, the VFX studio that came out of the original Star Wars being made and Lucasfilm and George Lucas and all that. One of the best VFX studios or houses, whatever you call them, in all of Hollywood. They did the VXS. VFX. Again, involved in the Transformers movie. I'm sure Michael Bay had some type of thing. Honestly, you, the more behind the scenes I watched, he was like crucial to everything that happened behind the scene. Who knows? I, who knew? I didn't. Anyway, Michael Bay, thanks for making this movie great and everything you did behind the scenes pulling strings. Anyway, I love hearing the direction John gave to these artists, whether it's the Foley artists or the visual effects artists. And you can tell he just, as a first-time director, it's, he has no business being this good. And he, he has such vision that he carries forward, asking the directors to hold back, build the tension, show as little as possible until the right moment. But note on that later in a minute, just remember that. And just the, the level of, of vision to the point where they created a whole backstory for these creatures, how they evolved, where they came from, what they originated, and all these things, why they are the way they are, and then intentionally gave none of that information to the audience, again, because we're experiencing the same in this family. This is a family trying to figure it out, trying to understand. They have no idea what's going on. They don't have the uh, knowledge of the backstory or how they evolved or why they're here. They're just trying to survive. And so the artistic vision went into creating these creepy things but again the the artistic approach of a first-time director knowing how well to craft the experience of this family just beyond me but he did an incredible job so lastly to kind of binge points here let's talk about the emotions like i said again this is a film about a family experiencing scary things and therefore it's scary for you one of the producers in the behind the thing scenes mentioned how he wanted to create the horrible fear in a fee let me try that again and one of the ex bonus features i was watching with the blu-ray it said create oh my gosh struggling with my words here one of the producers said he wanted to create that horrible feeling of fear but not use the same things that were relied on in the past they wanted to kind of shake up the genre and the genre with my limited experience was totally redesigned in focusing so much on these terrible, terrible emotions and complexities these families are dealing with. Again, to quote John, it's about living with this family. 
A little side note, the family's last name is the Abbots. So Lizzie or Alex, if you're listening to the episode, stay careful, okay? You guys are the Abbots, we love you. Anyway, I already mentioned how this is multiple times about a family feeling, experiencing scary things. Um, and in second viewing, that elevated emotion granted so much more of a terrifying viewing experience and so much of a better one. It, it just elevates it all. And, and so these are some of the things I noticed. Specifically, the character of, of Lee, who's played by John Krasinski, I really connected to him this time. Not that I've experienced anything as extreme as he is, but just the desire to be a father and a husband to your family and provide for them, despite all the odds and difficulties and challenges you have working against you. And he's trying so hard to care for his family in this horrible situation. And you can, I already mentioned this, you feel the weight in his eyes. Um, and I love the re- reality that John is able to portray in this character, Lee, because of his own life experience. And it makes it so relatable, it makes the heartache and, and the difficulty, the desire to teach his son, the desire to connect with his daughter, to be a good husband to his wife and, and future son and provide safety for them. I, I just really related to the earnest desire he carries weighing him down all the time. Really connected to that. The other amazing thing is the father-daughter relationship and working through the complex griefs we have. Reagan, the deaf daughter, blaming herself and dealing with the shame that she has and how that would block any amount of love she would receive. And a father trying to protect his daughter because one, he just loves her, but two, she does have a disability and, and as capable as she is, as amazing as she is, there's a disadvantage that sadly she has, and I'm sure he feels a little bit protective of her. And those two opposing but very complex and difficult things kind of working against one another, creating this rift between the family that they're, they're all experiencing because of a horrible situation of losing a little boy and that carrying the complexity of the story, the story even more forward. is amazing. Other things, the, this marriage trying to overcome this grief that they're having because of this rift I just explained and not letting the horrors of the world prevent them from bringing family and life into the world and being a family and overcoming the grief and, and working together. And obviously they're prepared and they have a plan and sadly it doesn't go according to plan, but their tenacity to push through the terror and the grief and the sorrow and the complexity and to be a family and to be a marriage is amazing. And I had no idea that there was so much emotional depth to each character's desires and actions, even actions happening within the days we don't see and how that carries through in the performance watching. And lastly, something that I never thought about until I was writing this up, the PTSD of poor Noah, whatever his character's name is. Let's see. Marcus. Marcus probably has horrible, horrible PTSD seeing his brother eaten or whatever happened, you know, like a year ago. And, and you see the two extremes. A kid who clearly didn't understand by no fault of his own. He's a kid. He wants to play with his space shuttle toy. And seeing the consequences of not understanding, and then you flip the script and suddenly you have Noah, Noah Jupe's character, Marcus, understanding far too much and being afraid to do anything. Being afraid of a fish flopping around um, and how 
hard that would be for a father. And him trying to have Marcus learn to trust in preparation and trust in knowledge, but also trust in him as a father. Very, very complex things that obviously we don't experience because of these things. I mean, the majority of us in those other third world countries where they're experiencing things that I can't even imagine, maybe. But in the day-to-day life where we're kind of protected from any type of horror movie, um, what's the word I'm searching for? Horror movie, I don't know, experiences. You know, these are emotions that we're not going to experience because of these situations, but they are emotions that we can experience and are very real. And that reality of that, with a little bit of twist of horror, makes everything so much worse. The dread, the anxiety, the fear, um, all those things are so much stronger because of the reality of it all. Um, So... Again, just kind of some examples of all the things that had to come together. These talented people coming together in a perfect combination to really catch lightning in a bottle. It's amazing. I'm not a big fan of the big fan. I'm not a fan at all of the horror genre. I'm too much of a wimp. That is all. I just I get way too scared even thinking about it. So for me to appreciate this and have it on my shelf and to know that I'll watch it again, it's got to be it's got to be good and not just good. It's got to be lightning in a bottle. To use that phrase again, I gotta use it carefully. I just, I heard it recently. I th- I loved it, but I don't want to overuse it. Anyway, one other thing that I read about that I thought was really interesting is obviously these two writers, Brian Woods and Scott Beck. Those are the two writers who came up with the story, um, and then John Krasinski he wrote the screenplay with them and also directed. But the two of them, they are the original writers and and the makers of this original idea. Obviously, they became a hot commodity in Hollywood after this. They, and so they had a meeting with Lucasfilm, huge production studio, obviously. Um, and they went and met with, they went and met with some producer at Lucasfilm about working potentially on the next Star Wars and Indiana Jones projects. And these are just two things they said that I thought was interesting in an interview I was reading. Brian Woods said, we went into Lucasfilm in the wake of a quiet place and they wanted to talk to us about Indiana Jones and Star Wars. And we're like, we want to talk to you about what is Star Wars before it was Star Wars. You guys have a responsibility to start a new franchise. That's where our hearts have always been, just trying to create original ideas, which I think is so fascinating. That Ever since I read this like a year ago, it's been on my mind. And, and like the creativity of these people. Uh, something that Scott Beck said, the other writer, without giving away too much, it was simply ruminating on, on if we did an Indiana Jones movie, what would we want to see in Indiana Jones? Or if we did a Star Wars movie, What's the chapter of the whole universe that we want to see? So it's very was an opus canvas talk. It started going down the line a little bit again, but as Brian said, it's just not in our day and age. We would rather create what the next Indiana Jones could be. So hopefully these incredibly creative and talented people we get to see outside of the horror genre. I know that after this, they went and directed and wrote together horror movies. Probably not going to watch it because I'm a wimp, but I hope that soon they can get, we can see more of these talented people and, and, you know, the idea of them making a Star Wars or Indiana Jones movie with their creativity is really awesome. Um, but what's interesting is I did do some research into Quiet Place Part 2, and, and they're not involved at all. Like, obviously, the characters they have writing credits for, but it was completely written by John Krasinski, which is really interesting. They weren't involved in Part 2. I thought they would be, but obviously, very talented people. 
So that was a lot of binge points, but I just love digging into the behind the scenes of this movie because it just, it just fascinates me how all these people came together to make something amazing. That's all the binge points. On to the next segment, least and likes. So these here at the basement binge is, has always been the least favorite scene and the favorite scene. And for the last little while, I've been a little bit of a cheap and I haven't given you guys a least favorite scene because I've really been struggling to find one. I, I do look, I genuinely, genuinely look. It's hard for me to find one. Um, and honestly, before rewatching it, I had one in mind for The Quiet Place. It's going to be the scene at the end where Lee, the dad, sac sacrifices himself by yelling and tells his daughter and his son that he loves them and then saves their life. Well, that used to be my favorite till this time. And I'm no doctor, but he was hit pretty hard by the thing in my gadget, thing in my gadget, by the thing, the monster. Uh, pretty fatal blow to the stomach. Again, I'm not a doctor, but from what I understand, if you hit in the stomach pretty deep, you're going to die. And so I always thought, like, why doesn't he throw the axe? Or, like, why doesn't he make a noise somewhere else? Like, why does he just kind of, like, give up? And it's almost like he realized he was already done for, and he was just giving his family a chance because of his love for them. Like, that deep emotional weight of giving your family the best shot for the best life they have. And he was doing everything he could in that moment to give them that. And feeling the emotions and the weight of that he carried through the whole film up to that moment made that moment so strong. I was crying. I was so touched by it. Um, so yeah, no longer my least favorite, but I do have one. I'm not going to cop out here. I do have one. Um, and it's when Emily's character, Evelyn, she's given birth and she's hiding in the shower. John's character, Lee, comes up and she's, he sees the bathtub all bloody and he's mourning and crying, probably believing that she's dead. And he's sitting there, and then it's all quiet, and you're like, where's the monster? It's all intense and emotional. And then wham, like a big jump scare, bloody hand on the shower door kind of drags down. Uh, it makes for a good jump scare, non-diegetically. Totally gets me to jump, even though when I know it's humming. But in-world, Evelyn would know to be quiet, not to alert the monster. And so although it's diegetic and it's a minor nitpick, it's not a big deal because it is a good jump scare. I just think it's kind of silly. Like, really? He did such a good job reinventing the genre of horror. You had to lean into it in the dumbest way. That was the least favorite. On to the favorite now. And if you, I almost revealed what it was earlier. Favorite scene, without a doubt, has been since I initially saw it, is Emily Blunt portraying giving birth in a beyond horrible situation in a tub. Again, there exists one take of that scene which is a crucial moment in the film. It's the one moment of relief, very, very small amounts of relief, I feel. Like, a, like the most cathartic relief you've ever felt before a brief second. And the weight that Emily carries in portraying that is just phenomenal. All of this intensity, all the thrill and the horror and the tension and the music and the sound and the editing building up to one moment to just a scream blurting out with a firework. And, oh, I can't begin to describe it. It's amazing. That moment gives me chills every time. It's so cathartic to have that relief. Again, going back to what I've been repeating, I'm a broken record here. This is a story about a family experiencing scary things. I feel for them. And Emily, what she's going through that I'll never experience, 
she's pregnant, her water's broke, she's giving birth, and there's a monster in her house, and she's going to die, and she can't make any noise, and she has no idea where her family is, and she's trying to bring this little one to the world, and who knows, he's going to scream one, like, oh, it's just too much, and that little bit of the scream, almost for you to scream yourself at the same time. Such good filmmaking, such good portrayal of an actor. I love that scene. The fact that there's one take of it, and even John, Emily's wife, was impressed with her. It's an impressive moment. It should be talked about more. It should be studied in acting school. It's amazing. Amazing, amazing scene. Um, Without a doubt, favorite scene. Other honorable mention, obviously, is the ending when Emily, like a boss, cocks the shotgun at the end, and then it goes black. That's an awesome scene as well, but that's more just kind of like fun. Whew, that was a lot. Let's get into the final segment here, Fall In. Here at the Basement Binge, Fall In is where we dig, I keep saying we, where I dig into the habits. What are words? Okay, Fall In. Here at the Basement Binge, Fall In is where I dig into the messages or themes or meanings of the film and what I personally want to take away from it. Because... Whether it's a Hayao Miyazaki film, which has been phenomenal for this section, or just a piece of pop culture and horror, there's a powerful message in every story. Story as a whole has always been about conveying a message, and I think films have an incredibly powerful influence over my mind, our minds, and I, I love dissecting. One of my favorite things to do on the podcast. But I will be honest, this was a difficult movie for me to think about. I had like pages and pages of ideas about binge points, but absolutely nothing about Fallen. Like, if I'm being totally honest, when I was writing up the podcast, I was like, okay, I think I'm done. I've got a, I got a, quite a lot to scroll through here. Scrolled all the way down to the bottom and Fallen at the title, and that was it. And I was like, oh, I totally forgot about this. And I didn't have much to say until I thought about it more. Again, I could kind of dig deep or more into each emotion that family members are ex- kind of experiencing throughout the whole thing and the arc of that, the complexity of it. But the one that really, really impacted me the most was the emotion of Lee, the dad, trying so hard to provide safety and protection and opportunity to his family and his kids. I don't have any kids. I'm obviously not being attacked by some demon monster that hunts you down when it hears you. But I'm a husband, and I will be a future father, and already I feel the responsibility of wanting and needing to provide for my family. I mean, you don't have to be a husband or a father to experience that by any means, but that's my experience. And so seeing the embodiment of that so dramatically portrayed by a very, very talented actor and feeling the weight that he feels, feeling the stress, the sorrow, the desire, maybe even a little bit the guilt because I experience in that. All the things that I experience having dialed up and portrayed so deeply and desperately in John Krasinski's eyes was really powerful for me. So this is what I, I, I mean, I don't really have so much. Let me take a step back here a little bit. I'm, I'm getting tongue tied. Seeing that portrayed was really touching. But as far as the topic of being a provider as a father and as a husband, I don't really have much new to say in that topic. It's an amazing topic to talk about, but I, I'm a novice when it comes to that, really. I appreciate it, but I don't have anything valuable to add. But this is what I can dissect from the film. This one little thing, maybe. 
it's the power and the safety that knowledge and preparation brings that nothing else can. The family, specifically Lee and Evelyn, they had a plan to bring a baby safely into the world. They wanted to bring life in the world. They wanted to have a family. And, and not just the unborn child they had, but the two children they had. There's even a line where Evelyn says, Emily, who are we if we can't protect them? So clearly they have a plan to do that. And, and the sadness is that in the film, it doesn't go to, according to plan, and you know that's why we have a story. But there is incredible safety that they do have in following the plan. And this would be much worse and a much shorter movie and a much more bloody movie if they didn't have a plan. If all those things like the red lights and the firecrackers and the fire and tools laid out and a cornfield and, and knowledge and video cameras and a gun and just understanding how the world around you is working and the threats around you and tools that you can take advantage of immediately, whether in a desperate moment or in a more long-term moment, in making those difficulties around you a little less difficult, a little easier to avoid, a little easier to maneuver through. I just, I'm, the more and more I think about it, this film really is a profound example of the importance of planning, the importance of knowledge, and, and not just the decisions and, and knowledge that you use to make a plan to have you safely move forward, but also the way you use that knowledge as you're adapting to good or bad situations and improvising and understanding and, and all of those things combined is the only reason that they survive, mostly, all of them. And it's because of the knowledge and preparation they had. They, the reason that that old man gives up is because he didn't have the preparation, he didn't have the knowledge, he was in a difficult situation, he couldn't do it anymore. Well, this family, the Abbots, they can because of the work that this father put in in giving the knowledge and the preparation and this, the safety that those things bring to his family. It's the only reason they made it. And it's an amazing thing to think about. Now, obviously, we're not preparing ourselves against a monster that hears us and hunts us. But there's things that we can do in learning and educating ourselves about the complexities, the difficulties the world, of the world we live in, of the future complexities. And how we can use that knowledge and that preparation we can put in to maneuver and adjust and use tools to make those complexities a little bit easier or a little bit more maneuverable. Uh, and I'll, I don't have any answer to particularly propose right now because everyone's because everyone's situation is different. But it's a principle that's true. Um, there was a good reminder for me. I learned it a long a while ago when I was single, way before I was married. I remember all the time telling my roommates the power of preparedness, the power of preparedness. I had it like written on my notebooks everywhere. It was like a motto that I wanted to live by and then I totally forgot about it until right now. And it's totally true. When you're prepared, you're so much more powerful. Um, and knowledge is a part of preparedness. And so it was a good reminder for me. And I had no idea that a scary movie that I had to work up to to experience this horribly oh, anxiety hour and a half but it was worth it. Lightning in a Bottle is the perfect description of this movie. I probably use that phrase a little too much, but I like it. And I, it perfectly describes how amazing this film is. And I, and I really do love it. As much as I'm a wimp with the horror genre, I'm grateful I own this movie and I know I'm going to watch it again 
I know my wife and I are going to watch it again. And I'm going to enjoy it every time. I'm going to be scared out of my wits. But I'm always going to enjoy it. And I'm grateful for spooky season being able to revisit this film. Because I had no idea that I was going to enjoy it. So this has been the first ever episode of The Basement Binge. First ever spooky season. Starting with A Quiet Place. Obviously, little spoiler. There's not going to be a lot of horror movies. Unless my wife can force me and I can work up the guts to do it. But obviously, I'm going to try. I'm super busy with work right now, but I'm going to try to get some other Halloween, October-themed movies that are fun to enjoy and talk about those. This is the first of hopefully four. Hopefully. Anyway, so super quick plug for the show and some things I want to talk about. Then some cool notes that I've learned about part two in my researching. So super quick. Yeah, I appreciate you listening all the way through the podcast. If you're still here, Connect with me on social media, facebook.com slash the basement binge, Instagram at the basement binge. Of course, those things are in the show notes. And I'd love if you could re- leave me a review on Podchaser, podchaser.com slash the basement binge. You can leave reviews and comments on the podcast as a whole or on individual episodes. And why would I ask you to leave a review? Well, it helps people find the show, it helps people know that it's quality, that it's enjoyable. It's a very, very quick, easy thing you can do. Their link is in the show notes for Podchaser. You can just slap five stars say i like it and good to go and i would appreciate it i thank you thank you so much if you do and if i do see it i'll try and apply to it we can totally talk Uh, other things there's a survey that i'm gonna hopefully have open until like the end of october maybe the first week of november just to let me know how you'd like to see the show moving forward i'd give you the link for that but it's 10 miles long it's in the show notes it's a super quick two question survey i'd appreciate it other things subscribe share the show all those important things but Yeah, just connect on social media. I'd appreciate it. That's the plug. On to the detail I learned about A Quiet Place Part 2, which is a total bummer, the 2020, and it's wonder as delayed in in addition to a bunch of other movies I was excited for. So it's currently scheduled for April next year, 2021. Who knows if that's actually going to happen? Fingers crossed. But we'll see. Anyway, I was doing some digging around, and on Letterboxd, apparently some individuals were able to see like a world premiere of it before it got canceled or delayed, and the Grace, who saw the world premiere um, sometime, on her Letterboxd review said that before the world premiere, that John was there and he spoke before the film, and said that he previously thought, quote, nothing could be as personal or as organic to me as the first one, and turns out I like this one better. According to her, that's what John said. So if he, which I already knew from watching the behind the scenes, was as invested in this as I feel he is in his performance, in his directorial vision, in his behind the scenes footage, all of those things, I can feel the intimate connection he has to this family and working with his wife for like the first time ever, but also just creating a wonderful story. And then have the second one he likes even more. I, why did it have to get canceled? Come on, COVID. It's got my man Killian Murphy in it too. I was so excited for Quiet 2. I watched that trailer so many times. Had tickets purchased. All of that canceled. Anyway, that's been the Basement Binge episode of A Quiet Place. I knew that I would eventually do a review on this episode, but I've always kind of been dreading it because of whip. But I'm glad it came because holy moly, this film's amazing. One more time, it is a lightning in a bottle. I love this film. Totally going up on my list of one... I think I'm going to review. Well, I'm rambling. I always ramble at the end. I need to stop doing that. I was just going to say that I think it's going to go up on my ranking list. More 
Oh. Okay, recording things now that are going to be released in the future is confusing for my brain. Anyway, great film. Thanks for listening. If you're still here, share the show. Leave a review on Podchaser. Podchaser.com slash The Basement Binge. You guys are the best. That's all for now. Ciao, ciao.